We have a new leader, the next Prime Minister of Canada, la prochaine Premier Minister de Canada, the Honourable Pierre Polyevre and Anna Polyevre. Hello, and thanks for listening to Speech from the Throne, episode 25. It's Jacob Kenny here, and very soon you'll be hearing the voice of co-host Lee McPherson as well. This Saturday, September 10th, we participated in our very first live stream on Twitter Spaces, reacting to the results of the 2022 Conservative Party of Canada leadership election. Pierre Polyev won that race with 68% of points available on the first round of the ballot, winning the most votes in almost every single riding of the country. An absolutely stunning, monumentally sized victory. Liam and I discussed the results, the race, the faux drama of Jean Charest's pathetic attempt at relevancy, and most importantly, how Trudeau can position himself against Polyev in the House and in the next general election. It was an excellent discussion where we were joined for a few minutes at the beginning by independent journalist Chris Curtis of The Rover for his analysis. We all immensely enjoyed the pressure of performing for a live audience and will likely try streaming again with more options for audience participation and special guests. And now, without further ado, here is our live coverage of the CPC leadership results. Hello, welcome. I see there's a listener that's joined us. Uh, it's great of you to tune in. Uh, we're just actually talking about the conservative leadership race, the federal conservative leadership race. We are waiting for the results to roll in here. Uh, myself and my, my friend Jacob Kenny, we have a podcast called Speech from the Throne. And today we thought we'd do a little Twitter space just to kind of break down the race as it results as the results roll in. Uh, right now, there's a number of Conservative MPs doing some virtual speeches. Uh, so we're just kind of killing time here and I'm just filling airtime while Jacob shares the link with our followers. And I was just saying that the Conservative grassroots is, as in the grassroots card carrying members has become very, very uh, different than what the rest of Canada looks like. And that's become an issue electorally for them, where they don't want to accept carbon pricing. They, they don't want to accept marching in pride parades. They don't want to accept large social programs. So the gaps between the gap between these two cohorts, Canadians and the conservative grassroots is widening, which makes it very challenging for anybody leading the conservative party to sort of straddle that line. Aaron O'Toole tried to and failed. Andrew Scheer didn't really try, and he was beat up because he didn't really try. So whoever's coming in this time, whether it's Pierre Polyev, whether it's Jean Charest by some miracle, um, is going to have a challenge. Uh, and, I mean, they have Trudeau's uh, unpopularity on their side, but it becomes extremely difficult when, even against an unpopular leader, unpopular leader when you won't support any form of action on the environment when you won't support when you barely support lgbtq people uh it, it becomes very distasteful to a large segment of the population so there'll be a real challenge here pierre polyev if he wins is going to focus a lot on cost of living i think and talk a lot about the economy because trudeau's been invisible on that um any thoughts on that jacob are you still sharing the link no, I'm just watching. It looks like Candace Bergen here is going to announce the first round. I'm not totally, I'm not totally sure, or maybe it's just another speech. But uh, in the in the meantime, no, I I think it's very interesting what you just said. And as I was preparing for this live stream, I was dissecting the results from the last election, 2021, 
uh, looking at Western Canada, in particular, the, the base of the conservative movement. And even in Western Canada, uh, what I did was I, 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 I ran sort of a hypothetical turnout model where there had been 100% turnout in every riding, because there are lots of, of ridings in um, Alberta and Saskatchewan where, where Liberals and NDP don't even bother turning out because the, the winner is victorious. If every single riding had 100% turnout, um, the, the, the left and right wing voters in even Western Canada would have essentially uh, equated themselves. There would have been about 3.2 million NDP and Liberal combined voters. There would have been 3.4 million combined Conservative and PPC voters. And so even in the very conservative, conservative part of the country, it's still that electoral system, the first past the post system, that's giving the conservatives their power. They don't have an overwhelming popular advantage. And so when you're talking about a, you know, a, a conservative party that is very different from the rest of the country, I think that's totally true, but that doesn't mean that they're necessarily guaranteed to lose. I think the problem is, is that no. they're, <laughs> they can play the system well enough that they can still win. I mean, like, so they only have a little bit more than 50% of the, of the vote in Western Canada, but they have three quarters of the seats uh, s simply because they, they can overwhelm any of their opponents. And that's essentially what they want to replicate in the rest of the country. Now, the, the liberals are well organized in the eastern part of the country, after, in central Canada and in eastern Canada. But if that organization falls apart, um, if they no longer can rally the left behind Justin Trudeau, it's not as difficult for Pierre Polyev to win as it might currently seem. Like no, and yeah, you know, you have to remember that uh, you know politics in Canada is so leader driven, yeah. right? Um, it's so leader driven, and I think in large part the voting coalitions that wind up forming. Uh, over the course of a prime minister's incumbency are very much based on that prime minister, on who votes for that prime minister yep. uh, and, and, and the party as it appears under that prime minister. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, you know so Trudeau is very, very popular out east. He's, he's probably still the most liked out here than perhaps anywhere else in the country, including Ontario, though he still pulls enough seats in Ontario uh, to help him win. That could be challenged as his popularity drags down. And if Pierre Polyev can come in and stay away from the, the Bitcoin talk and stay away from some of this cultural war stuff, I think he'll have a lot easier time getting people behind him. If he, if he goes into the race and talks about the cost of living like he's doing now, but then makes that his focus, I think he'll have a lot better shot. If he's talking to people in a language they can understand, which he has been doing, he... he for all his smarminess in question period, for how much, how partisan he is, how much he irks people who aren't conservative, he's very good at talking to regular people in a way that they can understand. He doesn't sound like a walking, talking, uh, speaking note. Uh, and that's incredibly effective, particularly when you're talking about housing, even though he's not going to be able to force municipalities to play ball at all. He has no authority over that whatsoever. He's talking about it. The liberals right now, are not talking about it. And that presents a serious challenge. No, that's, that's completely true. And I do think that, you know, because uh, Pierre, Pierre Polyev has positioned himself as this outsider, as the person who is 
critiquing the system, uh, it, it does afford him some message avenues that are not available to the prime minister, particularly a prime minister like Justin Trudeau, uh, who, you know, even though he, he might be on the left and you could say that sometimes the, the left stands for a progressive side, the side that, that's trying to, to move our politics, to evolve our politics. And Justin Trudeau, simply because he owes a lot of his position to being a, a son of the prime minister, he owes so much of his privilege and power to this system, he has to defend it in some certain way. He cannot ever uh, apologize for it uh, fully. He can never fully uh, move away from, from an endorsement of that thing that, that gives him his own personal prestige and power. And so, in a way, um, he has to act completely differently than Pierre Polyev. Pierre Polyev doesn't have to be perfect all of the time. He can admit to faults, for example. Um, things that would sink Justin Trudeau such as you know, shaking the hands of a person that's a, a, a white supremacist and then accused of, of various weapons crimes, like Pierre Polyev has done. You know, Pierre Polyev can say, "Well, you know, I, I shake dozens of, I, I, I shake so many hands, I can't possibly, uh, I, I can't possibly vet everyone." That's an admission of of guilt that that would never pass Justin Trudeau's lips. He he would, uh, he would probably obfuscate or or, or fail to admitted all that he had any sort of male uh, moral failing whereas Pierre Polyev can can more easily say well you know I have a I have a moral failing but the system is that I'm fighting against is is far worse and so you have to to choose me over the alternatives he can brush everything away because he admits that there's something wrong with the status quo and he admits that the status quo is so wrong that even him a very unperfect vehicle a a vehicle with, with horrible problems, in fact, with flaws that are immediately apparent, both on an aesthetic issue and an immoral issue, um, because he is willing to point out the horrible uh, circumstances that many people live in and offer them a solution. Um, he's providing a rhetorical strategy where people can forgive his flaws. But Justin Trudeau, who has to go out every day and say the system is perfect, you know, the, uh, the system produced this, this brilliant leader, uh, a.k.a. me, uh, with no problems whatsoever. He, he cannot ever really admit to the problems that we are facing. Because if he did talk about this world where you know, people are being faced with unjust consequences, where, where people are being unjustly deprived, you'd have to ask the ancillary question of, well, does Justin Trudeau also deserve what he has in his life as well? His political positioning requires him to be perfect, whereas Pierre Polyev's political positioning does not. And it's an ultimate flaw that could end up sinking him, I think. Well, I think you're I think you're onto something there. And, you know, he, he's had uh, Justin Trudeau has, has had repeated ethical issues uh, throughout his term. Uh, I see, uh, just want to acknowledge people in the audience here for a minute. We've got Bethany Drader. We've got Chris Curtis from the Rover here. Nice to see you. We've got tweets from Evan. Uh, it's great to see everybody here so far. We're just, if you're just joining us, we're just breaking down 
kind of the context surrounding the federal conservative uh, leadership race. Uh, I was just talking about how, how Justin Trudeau, he's got the long tooth of incumbency. He's had repeated ethical hiccups. He's not, he's fled the field on inflation, uh, allowing a, a huge opening for Pierre Polyev if he does win. Uh, if by some miracle Jean Charest wins, this is going to look completely different. I, I just can't see, I really can't see how he's going to pull it off. Uh, I mean, we've seen stranger things before, but his path to victory must be pretty thin. I don't know what you think, Jacob. I, I don't know why we would pretend that there's any drama in this evening. That's very clearly not what was happening from the very beginning. Uh, Stephen Harper did not want uh, Jean Charest to take over. And it seems that he's, Definitely, or him him and people that think like him definitely are still very much in control of the party, and uh, they were not going to let a, a progressive conservative win. But more importantly, uh, Jean Charest stands for things that not just conservatives don't want, but I don't think the population at large wants. I mean, he when Jean Charest talks, he speaks as though the neoliberal policies he represents are, are ends in and of themselves, that like low taxes for businesses, that free trade um, would be, are inherently good. He grew up in an environment where capitalism, where, or, where, where, where the, the ultimate fight of the day was capitalism versus communism. He never had to, uh, he, he never had to pivot between the two. He never had to That's right. explain, oh, we have, is, Wait, is, is, is Chris, are you talking, Chris? No, that was me. <laughs> oh, oh, sorry. <laughs> Chris, if anybody wants to jump in, by the way, this is supposed to be like uh, sort of collaborative. If anybody wants to jump in with a point, they can uh, request to speak. They're, they're more than welcome to, to share their point of view. We would absolutely love that if, if anybody wants to. No pressure. If you want to listen, that's cool, too. But uh, good to see everybody here. Like, I know you're all politicos. In, so. the, in, the, in the context of, of Charest's youth, the the goal of neoliberal politicians was not to justify neoliberalism, it was to attack socialism. And the fact that they were the only alternative meant that they won by default. Now there is another conservative alternative. And I think they're realizing, well, actually, uh, he doesn't have any real justifications for why he wants to impose a neoliberal policy. All he can say is, I'm not Justin Trudeau. He cannot say... This is why I'm better than uh, Pierre Polyev, and that's the problem. Well, it's and it's you know it's you're you're bang on, and it's he's had a really interesting career because as he, as he said, he came from you know a, a different era where, as you were saying, it's capitalism versus communism. He was relatively young when he started his career in the '80s. Uh, you know, he was he was strictly progressive conservative until the Quebec liberals begged him to lead the party. He managed to become premier of Quebec, but this could be twice now that he's sitting at a, a leadership convention floor uh, in second. And I see Chris is on. Oh, yeah. Too. Hey, Chris. Yeah. Let's, let's get you, Chris. I, well, first I just want to say it's awesome that you guys have this space. I hadn't spoken to you guys in a while. I just wanted to kind of pop in and say hi. And then I yeah, realized howdy. what was happening and um, what a big day today is. The coronation, in keeping with this week's theme, um, yeah, <laughs> <coughs> Queen's dead. Um, I, I was, I was really uh, that point you just made about the sort of that that the binary, right? Like communism, capitalism, like that being the era of politics for Jean Charest. Like 
Yeah, that was that was how he stayed in power. Like he he in Quebec, he was not you know he was not a separatist, right? And and that kind of defined his reign um, to outsiders. But like to people who had to live under a, a state governed by Jean Charest, like uh, those austerity measures were brutal. And and I mean, the last two three years of his um, was it nine years in power? Yeah, nine. Nine years in power. The last two years, uh, you know, it was constant, um, constant chaos in the street, and you know, cops fighting with student protesters. The city was shut down. Uh, the Liberal Party had to basically uh, cancel cancel a huge meeting because there were there was like a once in a once in a lifetime riot outside in Victoriaville. Anyhow, uh, I'm arriving at the end of my point, and you know. I'll bid you both farewell and, and go back to listening. But um, what what really, uh, when I think of Shaggy, I think of those years, you know, I think of that chaos. And I think to, to, to a degree, right, that's the sort of neoliberalism that that I see when I see Shaggy. And, and increasingly, you know, when, when we look to sort of where the liberals are headed in the future, probably a lot of belt tightening, um, you know, that's, that's what, you know, that's, that's what I anticipate. So anyhow, all, all of which is to, to say thanks for having this, guys, and thanks. That was a great point about Shai. Oh, thanks for joining us, Chris. That was great. Thanks for jumping in. And you know what? It's it's so true. The special, I think I think especially like the past since he's joined this this leadership race, Sharae has been kind of trying to maybe launder his reputation a little bit. But people don't forget, like he said, the student protests, the way he cracked down on on students in a by the way, completely unlawful way. Um, you know, and then there's a whole bunch of people within the Tories oh, yeah, who I never forgot, liked him. I forgot how he had basically introduced like these super draconian, yeah, pro police laws. That <laughs> the laws, yeah, that were like, I mean, would have been laughed out of a courtroom, and actually, some version oh, yeah. was laughed out of a courtroom. Anyhow, I, that yeah, that's an excellent point. Uh, the brutality of the repression, like it's closest I've ever come to dying, was like once or twice during those. During oh, wow. those riots, like you see a rubber bullet whiz by your head, or you, you know, you, you almost get trampled. Like you're terrified of being. Anyways, the, that's that's those, those are my memories of Jacques Chagrin. I believe it, and 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 honestly, like so, he's. I think he's he's not had to launder his reputation as much in the rest of Canada because they're blind to those issues. You know, that's. Uh, I remember seeing the headlines. I would have been in grade eleven. I think when that was going on. So I remember seeing the reports on the morning news, like student protests. And I'm like, what? Like, this is a student protest. Like, this is crazy, you know? And then like, I hear about like the rubber bullets and the the draconian law that he was trying to pass. And it's like, oh my goodness. And so, you know, Quebec doesn't forget that. I mean, he definitely still has a strong base of old Quebec liberals that still like him. But out, outside of that, I, I don't think he's, I think to this day, he's still a particularly unpopular uh, person, I think people like my father, who grew up, he destroyed, uh, he destroyed the Liberal Party in Quebec. He destroyed, he, like, oh yeah, he'll never recover. Oh my God, they have no, and, and you know, Chris, you've been saying a lot in your coverage. You know, they have, they have no direction right now, and in large part, that's due to the fact that they can't figure out who they are without him and Couillard. So it's, uh, it's a huge issue right now for for the Quebec Liberals for Charest. I think people like my father remember Charest a little bit more fondly because they remember him as a Mulroney cabinet minister. Um, they didn't pay as much attention to what he did in Quebec because they didn't, you know, you, when you don't live in a place, sometimes, sadly, you don't pay as much attention uh, unless you make the effort to. Um, but it's going to be really interesting to see if he somehow pulls it off. I highly doubt it because Polyev sold 
over 300,000 memberships. He's raised the most money by far. He's got wicked social media engagement. He's got the the master of dark arts, Jenny Byrne, on his side. I, I just don't really know how anybody else could win. What do you think, Jacob? No, I, I completely or agree with anybody. you. The, I, I did find it very interesting and I should say more annoying the way that um, – the, the the conservative conversation was framed um, when talking about social conservative voters in particular that they were always called in the media coverage I listened to as values voters and the I think the fundamental idea was that only for, for, in that framing the idea is that only social conservatives have values and that you know that uh, neoliberal voters or red Tories they they care about balancing the budget or they care about lower taxes they don't they don't have quote-unquote values they have like intellectual beliefs and that's absolutely ridiculous every voter is a is a values voter um but jean charret was unable to recognize this fact and he was unable to recognize this fact and succeed in quebec politics for a long time but he cannot uh he cannot recognize this reality and succeed in, in federal politics at this moment and that's something that uh, Pierre Polyev obviously does see. And Jean Charest's whole campaign was a, was a technocratic campaign. He's, he's running to be the, the prime minister of Italy, essentially. He's running to be a guy who's you know, picked from uh, a list of resumes and says, oh, you know, I have the experience and I have the competence and I, I can be this, 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 this great manager. But that's not the discussion that conservative voters were having. That's not the discussion that conservative party members were interested in, in entering. They're having discussion about culture. They're having a discussion about the way that our society is evolving, the way that society is uh, escaping their ability to control it and shape it, and how they want to once again have that control again. And uh, that's not something that Jean Charest was willing to enter into. He had nothing to say in these points, and uh, that's why he can't possibly win it at this stage in the game. He was he was talking to people. Um, you know, he, he was talking to people who, if, if this was like a, a, a one party state or if this was a, if, if, if this was, you know, like the uh, Alberta of my childhood, where it was a bunch of you know, oil executives that were choosing who would be the, the, the leader, that would, th those arguments make great points. When you're talking to real human beings who have actual beliefs, who have actual values, you know, talking about the GDP or talking about why you have more experience than the other guys, is, it, it, it's silly. He, he, that's not where people are. That's not where their emotions are. Obviously, conservative voters feel like they've lost something in modernity. They've lost something in the way that our society has evolved. Pierre Polyev is willing to address those, even if he's willing to address them in the, in the most pandering and, and ridiculous ways. Uh, Jean Charest wasn't, and Jean Charest couldn't. And that's why we're going to see him lose. Yeah, I, I mean, I think you pretty much just you summed her up right there. And uh, I mean, I think I've said before, I've said on our podcast and, and elsewhere that he's he's very much yesterday's man. He was trying to lean on, I think, you know, I was a unifier in the referendum and I have experience, like you were saying. And I think exactly it doesn't meet the moment. And whether we like it or not, Pierre is meeting the moment and it's going to become incredibly dangerous, I think, for the left wing if they can't find a way to respond to it. Um, this like is actually this is like what this reminds me of is like Shaggy. 
I would almost argue like it's, it was, is he like a plant from Poliev's camp? Because <laughs> it, no, it's, it's like that, you know, like, like when Muhammad Ali was coming up that, you know, they legitimized Muhammad Ali by having him, um, of course, back then he was Cassius Clay. They dragged out Archie Moore because Archie Moore had been a world champion. But at this point, Archie Moore was an old man and, uh, <clears throat> Muhammad Ali just beats the hell out of him and it, and it, and that's kind of what's happening here, right? Is he's just like, yeah, Oliev gets to redefine himself right now as a winner, and you know, the people like a winner. You know, people people will adjust the um, outer edges of their belief system to uh, you know to to be a winner, and and of course, what happens when you do that is that like the outer edges you know get wider and wider, and eventually you just change to win. And, I, right. and I, I, I feel like this is Canada's big populism moment. Um, people are going to, there's something infectious about Poliev. I, I, I honestly, like, I find him to be a really <laughs> despicable person and politician. And, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've had my beef with him, but he's, he's a good, um, he's an excellent politician. And I can't say that about anyone else in Canada right now. He, he reminds me a lot to, in the early 2010s, there was this political movement that seems to have mostly fizzled out in Italy, but to, in, in Italy it's called the Five Star Movement, and it was uh, led by a, a, a former comedian. And even though he said things that were completely ridiculous and completely stupid, the, main, the central argument was, you know, our system is so fricked up, even me, this dummy, and this obvious dummy can succeed in this system. And, and so in, in fact, the success of the movement was proof that the, that the movement was correct in its central thesis. And I do think that Pierre Polyev has a, a little bit of this equality where when you look at him at first glance, he's just like this, 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 this whiny uh, femboy standing up there trying to, you know, uh, <laughs> trying to seem tougher than he possibly could be. He's never had a real job. He doesn't seem to have any real touch with, with common people. It's all feigned. It's, it's obviously an act. Um, and anyone should be able to see through this. But I, I think the fact that it is so easy to see through this is maybe a little bit of the point. It's, it invites people to live in that fantasy land of, you know, if, if uh, I can live in a world where someone like Pierre Polyev can be prime minister, then I too can succeed in my wildest uh, imaginations as well. It's, it's sort of showing that uh, anybody can, can achieve their, their goals. And it's also showing that, you know, if we live in a system where me, who talks like this, who, who makes all of these constant stupid mistakes, can still succeed, it, it does show that the, that the system is ripe for destruction, that the system can be easily changed, which is what he's trying to tell us. Uh, and, so, so. and it's a perfect, yeah. it's a perfect argument because whenever his policy, like were to ever form a government and were he to ever uh, enact some of these policies. And by the way, he would never go nearly as radical as he says he would, because ultimately when you get the keys to the car in this country, like this, it's such a big machine. You can't just turn it around, but let's say he does and he enacts his policies. And if, and when they fail, he could just say, well, the system was rigged against me. We need to destroy more of the system. Like, like it, it, it does have a shelf. Yeah, exactly. And it does like, like this will, the act eventually gets old. But it works at first. And, and, you know, and there is a there's a there's a sincerity, even though, like, you know, he's full of shit. Um, there is 
weirdly a sincerity in a lot of what he's doing and saying, even though it might be evil um, <laughs> at its core. Uh, he, I shouldn't say evil. It's, it's a, a bad word, but, but even though a lot of what he's saying is bullshit and even though um, he, you know, you find him kind of a little bit repugnant, um, it does, it appears, it, it's a lot less rehearsed than, than the prime minister. And, um, and it's, it's, it's speaking to the right people, you know, people with nothing. And, and uh, there's that, that's a form of conservatism we haven't really seen in Canada that like nakedly appeals to, to, you know, well, that populist instinct, um, but, but, you know, directs it towards not only the sort of liberal elite, but the elite everywhere. And, and anyways, it's, it's, I, I'm, I'm interested in, in Poliev in a way I haven't been interested in a conservative in a long time. He's definitely a little bit of an enigma in that sense. I mean, that's that's definitely true. Um, and as you said, he's he's devastatingly good at what he does, uh, whether we like it or not. You know, I listen a lot to a, a podcast called Curse of Politics. I'm not sure if anybody else listens to it. It's got David Hurley and, and Scott Reed. They're ex-liberal staffers. Uh, and uh, Scott Reed made a really good point. He, he said that, you know, I always tell people, to watch Polyev's videos and they always give me a lot of crap and they're, they're like, that's ridiculous. He's ridiculous. Why would we, why in the world would we watch his videos, you know? And he says, listen, you need to watch his videos because he's a classic retail politician in, in the classic sense. He's so good at what he does. The Pearson video, right? There he is. He's walking the line of people waiting and waiting and waiting and he's talking in a way that you can understand he's not talking in a way that was written by a 27 year old pmo staffer he's talking in a human way explaining a human problem same with the passport office same with that kid that was uh crawling out of a crawling into his window because he he was late for an exam and had to get something and then he started for some reason pure polio started barking at him about like housing policy but it still worked really well um, and, and that's the thing is he just seems to have a natural knack for it. And I think it's possible that even some of that was in, improvised, maybe not. Um, but re regardless, he, he's very good. And I mean, I do think some of the benefits of Polyev here is, is that the field is much less crowded than compared to 2020 and compared to 2017. I, I think that, um, you know, you've got Pierre Polyev who's speaking to the concerns of the moment. You've got Jean Charest who's trying to be the experienced man, which is like, you're in the wrong decade, dude. Um, you've got Scott Aitchison, who's like, won't someone please think of the children? Please stop screaming at each other. You've got Leslin Lewis, who's just Leslin Lewis. And then you've got Roman Babber, who's only claim to fame is that he was kicked out of Doug Ford's caucus for being too conservative. So it's like Jean Charest, Pierre Polyev, and a bunch of nobodies, honestly. Maybe with the exception of Leslin Lewis, because she does have a small... Uh, sort of fervent group of supporters, but I don't think it'll be near enough to pull through, and I don't think it's going to be near enough to what we saw in 2020 for her. So it's it's interesting when you list uh, all those members of the um, of, of the leadership contest there, because the, the the most disturbing fact about that is when you when you put them head to head, you know Pierre Polyev doesn't end up necessarily on the on the right wing of those contenders. He's he's actually somewhere in the middle of his party which is a like problem could, in and of itself right yeah, you could put lewis and babber more to the right of him uh and that and, and you could say that roman atchison like is stylistically different than polyev but uh actually roman atchison his, sorry oh my god uh, <laughs> no i know it's okay. <laughs> yeah. that that these uh you know he is 
seem he comes off seeming like a centrist if all you're getting is conservative talking points and conservative media. And you know, we're we're looking at Pierre Polyev from the mainstream media or from our own uh, liberal political biases. But there's a lot of the country that is no longer connected to those mainstream sources. There's a lot of people that, you know, I, I have lots of relatives in, in Alberta and Saskatchewan that if anything is published by CBC, they'll immediately believe the opposite, regardless of the headline. Uh, there's a lot of people who are, are consuming their media strictly from Facebook, strictly from Rebel News, strictly from uh, off mainstream sources. And if if you're getting it from those angles, uh, Pierre Polyev doesn't look like an extremist. He he looks like he's the compromiser. He's the he's the rational middle choice. And uh, I, I think that's the type of person that can very easily win an election. So for us, that we 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 get our we get our news in fairly conventional ways. Still, he seems absolutely unconscionable for a population that's you know, accepting media from various different sources that no longer has a, a unified view of, of who is radical and who is moderate, uh, it, it becomes much easier to imagine a world where he could be accepted. There could be a population, like, uh, maybe even a very large portion of the population that forever thinks of him as a radical, that forever thinks that he is unconscionable. But so long as you have a strategically positioned portion of the population that's that's distributed just the right amounts and the right ridings that you know gets their media sources from a very particular uh, slice of the political spectrum, he could he could end up being in power. That's that's all you really need in this country. And it's a, as I said as I began this this broadcast, that's. That's really a, a product of uh, a horrible, antiquated system uh, of voting that we have forced upon ourselves for no reason. Um, that was promised. Well, there is a reason. Changed. <laughs> yeah. There is. There is a reason. I know you. I know you know. There's a reason. But just to, to articulate it for everybody listening here, the reason that we're stuck with this system is because the the party that wants to change it gets in wins huge and then realizes they actually like it. <laughs> yeah, of course. So yeah. it just, it just perpetuates not the fact that nothing changes uh, until somebody with gumption, which is rare these days, actually just, just legislates it already, you know? Um, and, and, you know, I think your point, you made a great point there about uh, Pierre Polyev looking like the sane moderate, which is in itself, in and of itself, extremely disturbing, but that's where the grassroots is at today. That's where the grassroots of that party is at today. And, and modern politics is just chopping up data pies, right? It's just, it's like, what data pie are we baking today? Oh, we're going to get 55, we're going to get 5% in uh, Ontario. We're going to get this in Quebec. We're going to get this. I mean, I'm, the numbers are totally wrong, but you get what I'm saying. You know, you're, you're, you're literally slicing provinces into data tranches to see how many tranches you can assemble uh, enough to, to get your, your, your guy over the finish line. And, and Polyev is, is assembling a very, different coalition uh, from Trudeau, but it's incorrect to say that there won't be some of the same people, you know, so we have to remember that some of the same people vote for Doug Ford and, and Justin Trudeau, which seems really, you know, seems bizarre, but it does, it does happen. Uh, and, and all the way, also I want to give a shout out to uh, Aaron Durfell. He's uh, listening here. He's a, a great uh, reporter uh, from Quebec. He, he did a great job uh, holding Francois Legault to account uh, for all of his mistakes. And I just wanted to say hello and, and what an honor to have you here, sir. And I'll pass it to, to Jacob. 
No, I just wanted to uh, point out to everyone that's listening, we just got the warning from uh, the the event organizers at CPC headquarters that they're going to be delivering results in 10 to 15 minutes. Apparently, they've just received the first round results and are going to be releasing them very soon. They just need to be calculated, they say, need to be tabulated. If anybody but, wants to tune in on YouTube, the Conservative Party has an official feed. That's what we're watching. That's the context. Well, I'm that we actually have. watching the CBC coverage thereof, but I, I, oh, I do flip right. between them both. I like to I get I like to get the raw unedited version from the Tories' mouth, and then I like to get it from from the CBC as well. It's a interesting little contrast, but yeah, yes. and and you know a little bit of a different. Uh, you know, you have zero uh, editorializing, and then you have you know maybe a little bit of editorializing, and and they always do great coverage of these leadership races. So I mean, you're you know tune into CBC if you like, tune into wherever, but. Uh, I definitely encouraging you to tune in period because it definitely enhances your experience because you get both our, our voices blathering on and you get the voices of people on stage blathering on. So it's a double whammy. Um, and, but anywho, I, I mean, how, you know, how close do we think this thing is going to be? Probably not much. I mean, I guess first round is the first round. It could go to the second round, but does it go beyond the second round? No, I mean, it seems in- to be, uh, it- it seems to be the consensus that I'm hearing from from at least the 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 insiders that I listen to is that it's going to be like in the in the upper 60s for Pierre Polyev out in, out of the gate. You think so? Yeah. Wow, that would be that would be a historic route. I mean, there's no. Um, I think I think there's no reason for anybody to be voting at this point, um, having known what the outcome is. Now, the, the I don't know. The only possibility i can imagine is that leslie lewis overperforms again like last time like i just don't see how jean charret could possibly do it jean jean charret is connected into the same media ecosphere as as you and every other journalist so if there was a secret underground jean charret operation we would have heard it already leslie <laughs> lewis is is by being so connected to the conspiracy bandwagon she is de facto speaking to channels that we do not have access to um, so it's quite possible that those channels could be much more, um, active than we ever could anticipate. And maybe there's a secret SOCON uprising or anti-vaxxers that have joined her at the last minute. I doubt it. Uh, that's the only, uh, to me, that's, that's the only question. That well, you know what changed things for me? Of, yeah. What, what do you think? What do you think? Like, I mean, I'm, I, I don't think the... The outcome is in doubt. I, I mean, I think Pierre Polyev still wins. But what changed my perception a little bit is just, I mean, like it's normal for uh, leadership races to, for not all of the members to actually vote in the leadership race. So I think there were like, I don't know, 680 some thousand memberships that they sold. And there's only about just over four, I'd have to get the exact number in front of me, but over four that voted 400,000. Uh, and it's going to be interesting to see which port, you know, how the, how the tranches of who voted for who changes based on that. And I, th- I mean, I do think Polyev's voters are very motivated, but you also have a lot of Polyev supporters who, and, and I say, you know, a lot of them as in like the more cons- conspiracy minded folks who maybe don't want to send any of their information to Deloitte or something. And maybe they have like a weird idea about that. So I'm and maybe, the, you know, I don't know if that would affect things enough to change the outcome, but it, it's going to be interesting to see how many of his voters were motivated, how many were maybe thrown off by the process or fell off the wagon somehow. Uh, it's going to be interesting as well to see who else gets their vote out. Uh, does Leslie Lewis manage to replicate some sort of success? Is there a dark horse that we haven't even talked about? Uh, it's it's going to be really 
interesting, but I don't think it's going to be as interesting as other races where we're seeing it go into the, didn't one race go to like the 11th ballot or something insane? Was that 2017? Yeah, it was a 2017. Yeah, yeah. So I don't think we're not going to be seeing that, but we're going to be seeing, I think, I think we're going to be surprised here. It's just in what way are we going to be surprised? You know, does Polyev route Sheree even in Quebec? Does Sheree at least pull through in Quebec? Does he pull through anywhere else? Um, you know, those are the little things that I'll be watching for here in 10 or so minutes when the, when the results roll out. Um, well, yeah. the, the, the Quebec results are interesting, especially watching the Quebec election right now, because we're seeing a, a bit of a skyrocket in the polls of Eric Dehem and the and the Conservative Party in Quebec. Now, of course, there's no relationship between the Conservative Party of Quebec and the Quebec and the, and the Conservative Party of Canada as it operates in Quebec on the federal level. Um, but there is some connection between the philosophies of Eric Dehem and uh and Pierre Polyev, they definitely do seem to be talking to similarly culturally aggrieved voters. And it does seem like there is actually a, a ripe uh, uh, political space to be selling that message in Quebec, which is very odd. It's a, it's a province that has been dominated by, you know, federalism versus uh, separatism for a long time. And there just wasn't any other, um, political message that could dominate that or that, that could question the, the dominance of, of those two narratives. Now it looks like there is something else breaking through. There is, there is another message that people are willing to listen to. And so the, the, the liberals cannot guarantee themselves as being the only um, anti-sovereignist vote in Quebec they also can't guarantee that they, they, they had difficulty guaranteeing themselves as the only progressive vote as well with the, with the rise of Jack Layton. So we're seeing, and, and that could, it's, it's doubtful that the NDP will ever rise again in, in, in Quebec under the, the, the reign of uh, Jagmeet Singh. But it's, it's not impossible that, uh, that the left could be split, at least with the, with the bloc in Quebec. And so we definitely see a possibility where, in Quebec is where Justin Trudeau's majority chances lay. It could be where Pierre Polyev's majority chances lay. If he has a breakthrough there, um, he doesn't have to. He doesn't have to be winning uh, uh, as as many seats in Ontario as as you would expect. I at least form a minority that. government. Uh, and the, the only reason I don't know about how well he would do in Quebec in a general is just just the quality of his French. And it's it's good. Like he can he could hold his own somewhat with Jean Charest, but he doesn't sound like a francophone. His turns of phrases phrase aren't like francophones w- would say. Um, and I know that from listening to him, even as an anglophone, like like I can hear the difference. And I know that, uh, you know, Jean Charest made quick work of him in the French debate. That was the only debate where Jean Charest dominated. Um, purely yes, because true, of his true. command of the language. So I, and you know, like you and I don't care about that, but I find that, that Quebecers maybe care a little bit more if somebody can speak French really well or not. And so I find if you can't speak French as well, I, I find sometimes you don't do as, as well, uh, in that particular province. I mean, trends can be usurped, like he could completely change it and maybe people won't care and they'll just vote for him anyway. I mean, like, God, we saw Quebec go first for the bloc and then for the NDP in 2011 and then go for the liberals in 2015. So, you know, anything can happen. Anything's but it's, possible. But it's also, Quebec is on a bit of a nice edge and there's a lot of, of three or four way splits in Quebec where the conservatives are just strong enough to eat into the Bloc Québécois so that the liberals can come up the middle. 
but they're not strong enough to beat the liberals. I mean, if, you, know, you don't you don't need to move that greatly to to swing a, 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 at least a few seats. And you know, Justin Trudeau's strategy is clearly I'm going to run exactly the same election as many times as possible until I get those 15 extra seats in Quebec, and then and then I'll have my majority. That's clearly his strategy. He's not changing anything. Uh, he's just he's just going to roll the dice over and over and over again. Uh, if, if Pierre Polyev can throw a wrench in that strategy, uh, he could be he could end up being prime minister by by default just because we get so exhausted that you know, he 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 ends up uh, forming some sort of uh, deal to get in the same way that that that, that Harper did in the in two thousand and six. You know, you could you could in two thousand six you could have plausibly said, well, you know, Martin should have stayed on. There wasn't an outright majority for. Uh, there was an outright majority for Harper and there was no real natural ally for Harper in the House. But people were just so exhausted with the Liberals that they, they gave him a chance. And once they once he got his his uh, his, his uh, old white knuckles on the steering wheel of power, he, he never gave up. Um, you know, he can definitely see a world where Pierre Polyev would would do the same. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that's just it. And, you know, people forget that that is, in fact, possible in our system. Eh? Like it is very possible uh, for a prime minister who just lost a general to still command the confidence of parliament if he can somehow cobble together a coalition. And now um, that doesn't happen very often. But I mean, so it, it actually did happen. I mean, it's happened a couple of times. It's ha- it happened in, in, in B.C., it happened in in 2017. It happened in Ontario in '85, I think it was. It was David Peterson versus uh, Bill Davis, and I believe the PCs won one or two more seats. And then, but they the NDP, there was no way they were going to support the PCs since they'd been in power since I believe at that time since the '40s or something like that. People forget there was a PC like a, many decades of PC rule uh, during the 20th century in Ontario. Uh, and the only way that that got broken was by the NDP supporting David Peterson's liberals, who ironically for themselves were on their way cruising to a majority until Bob Ray came out of nowhere. So that 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 was funny in and of itself. But all that to say, under our system, just because somebody wins the most seats, if they're one or two seats ahead of another party and then they don't command an absolute majority in parliament, they can 100% team up with another party and and even the party that quote unquote wins the plurality of seats won't form government. So, you know, I mean, it, uh, Pierre Polyev's a pretty cynical fellow. You know, he's been in this job since he was, what, 24, 25. Um, he's a political animal. He's That's his yeah. modus operandi. He's got people on his team who are political animals. That's their modus operandi. So any way that he can... You know, any any way that he can sort of claw his way into power, I think I think he will. I mean, I don't think the NDP are going to prop up a Polyev government under any circumstances. But then I suppose people said that about Harper, too. So you, you never really know. Um, but I mean, I think it's it's just another reason, number one, why we need electoral reform. Um, then we wouldn't have governments eking through with 32 percent of the vote. Uh, but, you know, number two, I think it's, you, you know, you made a very interesting comparison there between the Quebec conservatives and the federal conservatives as they operate in Quebec. And uh, obviously there's no relation, um, but like they, they're speaking to very similar groups of people. And you actually are right about some of those vote splits, particularly in, in and around Quebec City and um, in, in that region. Uh, they could come through the middle in a lot of those votes. Uh, the, the only sort of factor that's going to, I think, going to be important to watch is uh, Yves-Francois Blanchet. Uh, how well he does 
uh, and and how many seats he can hold on to because I think he's Polio's biggest thorn in Quebec, and I think probably helps them a little bit in the vote splits. But then I think they also help him with some of his vote splits. Like um, when they won big in 2019, there they won with less of the popular vote than Duceppe got in 2015, and he only got he he didn't even get enough for official party status in 2015. So it's all about math, baby, and the math breaks down different ways, different times with different strategies. Yeah, well, and it's a. I, I think that we're gonna we're gonna see how the uh, first round results go in. But if Pierre Polyev can win a resounding victory on the first ballot without borrowing support from Leslie Lewis's social conservatives, it allows him to to um, not owe allegiance to the most problematic parts of the base. In in particular, in in parts of Quebec. I mean, like that's. It's, it's the abortion issue that, that kills um, the conservative cause in Quebec. And they're, you know, they're talking about secularism all the time. They've moved so far away from those religious conservative, so, uh, re- religiously conservative, socially conservative values uh, that there are people who, because of their you know, intolerance towards uh, ethnic minorities, you think, well, they'd be the classic Tory voter, um, but they actually still hold some um, they still hold some relatively liberal social views that they cannot square with a vote for the conservative party. And that sort of opens a space for the Bloc Québécois in the, in the, in the racist, but still uh, somewhat woke crowd. <laughs> it's a very weird avenue that doesn't exist in any other province. Uh, and it's an avenue that can be closed at any time. If the if the conservatives are are willing to invest in, and it, it definitely takes like, as you said, the the, the French skills. It, it it takes focusing on on those issues, um, but it, and and pivoting away from some stuff that traditionally the leaders of the conservative party had to at least pander to a little bit. If Pierre Polyev can elevate himself from that discussion because he doesn't feel like he, he owes his victory to social conservatives in any real way, it puts him in a much stronger position, not just in Quebec, but in, in, in lots of, you could say, the, the whole of suburban Canada, really. It, it puts the conservatives back in play in a way that they, that they haven't been in a long time. The liberals are obviously going to try and tie him with a lot of de- uh, detestable con- uh, social conservative ideas, but it's... It, it, it remains to be seen whether it's going to stick. I mean, they, they, they've done that several times in a row. Is it really going to work the, the third time around? It, Here's a question There's no for guarantee. You. If you're Justin Trudeau and you're trying to beat this guy, you know, he just had a retreat with his cabinet ministers. Uh, if, if you're in the cabinet room with Justin Trudeau and let's say his, you know, Katie Telford or some of his staffers, when you're sitting down to discuss strategy, what is the strategy you would use to defeat this guy? Ooh, to defeat Pierre Polyev. Mm-hmm. It's um, easy to say, how do you lose to him? Because there's a million ways he could lose to him. How do you win? But do I have to be, I ha- do I have to keep Justin Trudeau as the leader of the liberal party? Yes. <laughs> for this, for this thought exercise. Yes. Well, I do think that it is all about tying him to the wrong side of issues that work in his base. So it is about showing that he actually does not support the common man, that his austerity politics would have taken away things like serve, that it would have put your grandma out on the street. It would have, it would have put your, uh, your, your, your high school student son 
uh, uh, years away from from university, it, it would have caused that, that this man in power in a time of crisis um, would have uh, had terrible consequences. I think that you have to start fixing a lot of these sociological problems that Pierre Paulier is identifying, uh, or at least start talking seriously about them. You have to walk away from defending the economy all the time, and you have to admit, and that's a difficult part for Justin Trudeau, is he, he I, I think it, it's possible, but it's not really in his wheelhouse, because I think he wants to present a world where he is personally responsible for all the goodness uh, in our in our economy, um, without accepting all of the badness. I mean, in the truth, the, the truth of the matter is, is that Justin Trudeau is relatively impotent in the way that our um, our economy functions. I and mean, it's it's the the whims of the American president are are way more powerful. I mean, like our whole our whole vehicle industry was saved by an EV clause that the U.S. Senate inserted into a, into a bill uh, to, to combat climate change. And it had nothing to do with, with Canada. And yet it is going to, it, it could have fundamentally destroyed Ontario's economy uh, if, if the Americans had chosen that. But, you know, the, the, just, the Justin Trudeau can't stand up on a stage and say, I'm, I'm going to be the best prime minister because I know how to, you know, I know how to jerk off the Americans better than Pierre Polyev which would be an honest statement, but he can't say that. Uh, so he has to create this sort of fiction where he's, he's trying to say that you know, I'm, the, I'm the best manager and I'm, and I'm more competent than him. And you know, Pierre, Pierre Polyev can, can, of course, poke holes in it all he wants, uh, but they're, they're having a, a false debate. I think Justin Trudeau needs to start identifying the systemic problems and start saying, he can start addressing the fact that you know, maybe we are too dependent on the Americans. Maybe our system is inherently unequal. Maybe there are real problems and I am the vehicle for change. Instead, he's, he, he's maintaining a fantasy that Pierre Polyev uh, is too deft at destroying. And, and it's, a, it's a massive vulnerability. Yeah, I, I mean, I think I think where the liberals have to be very careful. Like, I'm I'm not saying that they they shouldn't be using some of what they usually do, where they bring up things that people have said or done in the past, because I think that still matters. I think they have to be very careful about resting their entire campaign approach on that. That's where I think it becomes dangerous. Um, I think what you said there about like you know. Pierre Polyev, if he gets in, like, you know, he's an acolyte of Thatcher. And, you know, you and I know who, who Thatcher is, Margaret Thatcher. And so a lot of people know who Margaret Thatcher is, but not a lot of people know what kind of politician she was, particularly those that didn't live in the UK or aren't politicos like us. So you can't just go out there and say, he's like Thatcher 2.0. You have to explain what that means in layman's terms. So you say, like you said, you know, he he would get in and he would he might cut social programs. He doesn't believe in a role for government in in social programs he believes in the voluntary generosity of people as he said in his own words he doesn't like the the current structure of the way that government services are delivered that's dangerous uh he he's not going to he wouldn't have spent on like you said serve uh the way that justin trudeau would have he would have let people go out of work so but you have to also combine that with his past you know like some people might remember that in 2008, uh, on the very day of the Stephen Harper's residential school apology, he went on an Ottawa talk radio show and wondered 
hmm, do you think we're getting all of this value for money? I think we have to engender hard work in Indigenous people instead. Like, And then, of course, he had to apologize the next day for it. But this that's the kind of stuff that you bring up. But then you combine it with, and also, he doesn't care about you. He doesn't care about the common man. Really? You think he's going to be your hero? He's had the same job since he was 24. You really think that he's going to be the one that's going to go in and change everything? the way it's been benefiting him for the past almost 20 years, that's the argument that you go in and make. The difficult thing is that the messenger is Justin Trudeau. Yeah, and exactly. I, like, it just doesn't work with him as a messenger. Yeah. Now, but on the flip side, so let's let's change the thought exercise. So let's let's talk about, if not Justin Trudeau, number one, who replaces him? And if so, what strategy would you drop? adopt or sorry well, uh, depending on who you pick what strategy would you adopt i mean well that's why <clears> I, <throat> I i know you're gonna you're gonna you're you're going to laugh at me but i think that I the natural alternative the natural alternative is jagmeet singh and he, this the only he's he's someone that at least uh speaks to um uh he has a personal story of someone from a marginalized community that is um, now moving up the ranks and finally uh, uh, repairing a social injustice. So it's it's just inherent in his own identity. It's, it's the same message that Justin Trudeau is delivering, but not delivered by someone who is benefiting from the system of oppression he is himself critiquing. So it's a way better connection of message. Uh, and Jagmeet Singh's a, a, a relatively well-off background, so it doesn't quite work with the common man strategy, sadly, but it's I don't really see too many people that could that could fit it better um but and and he does have a he does have a, a decent way of connecting with real people and, and connecting with the real problems feeling their feeling their emotions seeing empathetic um it just it's just Jagmeet Singh with a really well condensed social program uh a really well condensed list of social policies that stick is is, is three to five things rather than his usual plate of 14 small items that he's begging the liberals to enact it's uh, it's it's a clear agenda and it's and, and of course it's it's the all the resources of of both the liberals and the ndp behind him so long as the the, the liberals and the ndp are, are sniping at each other there's there's not going to be uh there's not going to be the sort of combined effort on the left that i think is required to defeat um pierre Polyev. so long as the liberals think that the that that the the best case scenario is saying you know <laughs> I just gotta, I gotta jump yeah, in you go you go you, you jump in you well I'm jumping in just because I think there's the results are coming in here folks so uh, or at least something's happening on the stage here there's there's a fella standing on the stage there's a lot of fellas who look similar to one another standing on the stage uh, and then there's Rob Batherson <laughs> conservative party president Rob Batherson there on the far left uh, I'm embarrassed to admit I don't know the names of everybody else I think one of them is Ian Brody. Um, who is yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I see. I can see Ian Brody there. Which one is he? The bald guy that's beside Rob Batherson? Correct. There we go. So I know those two people. The other two, I'm embarrassed to say, listeners. I don't. I don't know who they are, but they're on the stage now, and they look like they're they have something to announce. So two seconds. We're just going to listen in, and it's all over. <laughs> yeah, first round. Uh, it, it it makes sense. It had. To wow. Be okay. So are they gonna Are they gonna actually say the number? Wow. He got sixty eight percent, Jacob. 68% of the vote, 68.15% of the vote. Yeah. Uh, okay, Shrey so scrambled together a, me a meager 16%. Wow. Nice. Wow. I'm glad that my sources were at least correct on this one, but uh, I, I also don't think it was hard to predict. 
Holy cow, that is a route. Well, what are, we, what are we, what's our reaction to that? I mean, I guess we just talked about our reaction to that because we knew the inevitable. Holy yeah, is it cow. a solid, well-defined victory that he owes to no one? So <laughs> <laughs> no one but himself. Yeah, I it's mean, he's, he's got a gift. Personality. Yeah, yeah. He's got a gift, and that's the most horrifying thing about him. And I think that's why Chris Curtis, when he was here earlier, uh, for those of you that are, weren't here before, Chris Curtis from the Rover joined us for a little bit. Uh, and he was saying that that's why he finds Polyev so interesting, not because he particularly likes him. I mean, I think he said he finds him despicable, but he finds him all the same so interesting because he's so good at galvanizing all of this support. Um, he ran the perfect campaign that the grassroots wanted to see run. He spoke to the concerns of the party. He looked people in the eye who, whether they were reading BS on the internet, whether they had nothing, wh whether, you know, whatever it was, he looked them in the eye and he said, I could help you. And, uh, they believed him and we're going to see now how he imports that to the general. Uh, Do I you think want to listen to his speech. Um, yeah, let's, let's put on the speech here. He's just doing some hand waving and I think he's going to speak here and okay okay yeah we can we'll keep talking sorry oh his, his his wife's going to speak okay okay we'll have to cover this later Liam but this very clearly we can see the micro uh, uh, the whole Pierre Polyev campaign in microcosm in this speech I'm actually kind of amazed <laughs> at how well this is going it's a much better political communicator than I would expect from the usual uh, political spouse. I, I know she was a Senate to... staffer before, but uh, no, you can you can keep her on. I was just I was just talking over the French. Well, I'll just uh, we'll just we'll talk we'll talk over it. I think we've gotten the, the gist of it here, but, but I mean, yeah, I mean, you just summed it up. Like it's a it's a very good microcosm of the entire Polyev campaign. Uh, you know, instantly going to those that 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 rags sort of rags to riches kind of story, uh, and how hard work got her there. Uh, and well, not our... not necessarily regs to riches. I think the more I think well, the more important idea is just to show that they're grounded, that they that they know the. I think I can see more the contrast in comparison between them and the the most obvious political, like uh, Sophie Trudeau and, and Justin like, Trudeau, maybe, like maybe the, the Laurentian elites versus these two, you know, uh, very humble beginnings. Okay, Pierre Pelley, well, I was going to speak. Okay, sorry, let's. Yeah. Okay. For almost half of our nation's existence. Okay, I'm just going to talk over this part, <laughs> just to just to respond to your to your point, Jacob. Yeah, I think regs to riches maybe was a little clumsy, but what I meant by that is like I got where I was because I worked hard, and you don't get anything unless you work hard, and that's the core messaging of of people like Pierre Polyev. Pull yourself up your bootstraps and work. That's the classic kind of Thatcherite. That's that's exactly where he's coming from. It's his campaign in microcosm, and he did it very well. He, you know, his wife begun providing a personal anecdote of how she got where she is, and talked about how he got where he is, uh, and even was able to point at them in the audience. So it's a very relatable human anecdote, right? And he's very good at relating to the normal person, whether we like it or not. We need to respond to this guy because he's so good at speaking to the regular person, and that's that's well, the yeah. the biggest danger. When... That's the biggest danger. When Sophie Gregoire Trudeau and and when Justin Trudeau uh, addressed the liberal convention, what message have we ever heard besides, you know, we're the most perfect people ever. Look at us. We're so beautiful and rich. And, and we've, we've never suffered a day in our lives. This is, you know, uh, could, the contrast couldn't be more obvious. Uh, and it's interesting that they're, that they're going there to, to, to draw it. It's a, it's a strong distinction and it's well-spoken. We'll go back to the speech here, going back to yeah. Pierre's speech. Okay, so he did pay lip service. He kept it. He kept it relatively classy. 
Well, and also mention something that happened 20 years ago. It's the, the assumption being you, sh- you shouldn't have come <laughs> out. You should have, you should have stayed, stayed dead, basically. Exactly. Exactly. Um, I think this is... I, I I don't I mean if folks want to watch the speech they can they can tune in on YouTube and follow yeah, along sure. but I mean I think I think I we already know what he's going to say it's it's very very directed about putting control back into the individual's life that's his entire message it is a libertarian message if there ever was one um, like I said this guy's not a fan of an expanded social state he's going to go after you're you're blind if you think he's going to go after the expanded social state at least to some extent. Uh, and I think for the left wing, the best thing that we can do is talk about, fo- refocus our messaging to, to socioeconomic, socioeconomic issues primarily, number one. Um, number two, we have to talk in a normal way. We can't be over-rehearsing talking points anymore and sounding like a bunch of robots. We have to talk like regular people. Number three, uh, we need to be speaking to ways we can make the individual's life better but we need to frame it in such a way that government can be there for people, that government can take care of people. That's the contrast that we need to align. Pierre Polyev is trying to frame this as though government is in people's way. And I mean, I, there's certainly times where the bureaucracy can be in people's way, for sure. But it's not as though social progress and, and social programs are you know, anthema to, to what, what will help individual people get out of the rut that they're in. Uh, the trouble is, is that currently the Liberal Party would rather sound like it's it's defending the status quo, a.k.a. neoliberalism. And that was uh, Hillary Clinton's problem as well. He, they, they were they, they share two major things in common in that they tell regular people, no, 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 everything's fine. Everything's great. But it's not fine and it's not great. And so it's like, what are you going to do differently? Well, um, uh, child care, it's like, okay, that is pretty great if, you're, if you have kids, but a lot of people don't. So what else are you going to do? Well, um, we'll see. You know, it's just like, it's like they're completely invisible. So we need to refocus now. We need to regroup. I don't know if the solution is like you say, Jacob, uniting the left. I think that'll, that could be a whole podcast in itself. And we should definitely, <laughs> we should definitely get that together. But what are your thoughts? You got to you got to do what they what they did in France, man. The the the, the new popular uh, union of, of of leftist parties. They, they they won the the parliamentary elections against Macron's neoliberals when he was expecting to have another majority in parliament. It's it's very simple. You unite the left and and you win. But uh, I I'm actually more interested in doing a little bit of men meta analysis on on um, how um, Pierre Polyev and his wife were speaking about each other. Because when you were listening to Pierre Polyev listing off his congratulations to the other contenders, did you hear him mention the the spouses of anyone besides Leslie Lewis? I think yeah. he was... I, I didn't hear that, which come to think of it is a little bit weird. It was just Leslie, he thanks Leslie Lewis, and then he thanks her husband for supporting her. And then it, that was deliberate. had... Well, because it makes me wonder, because before he has his he has his wife come out like, and I'm here supporting Pierre Polyev, standing by his side, like very, very obviously playing that that social conservative role. I don't think it's I don't I don't think it's uh, um, evident or sorry I I don't think it's planned at all. I don't think it's conscious. I think it's just indicative of the way that that he thinks. Yeah, and- I think I mean that's something <laughs> people don't realize about Polyev is they think that. Uh, oh, he's tacking so far to the right and blah, blah. It's like, no, this is who he is. This is who yeah. he's always been. We can't treat him like he's putting on an act. He is doing exactly what he has always wanted to do, which means... In his head, it's still need... 1950, yeah. 
And, but well, yeah, and we can joke about that. But we need to find somebody who is also doing exactly what they want to do. We don't need yeah. any more rich sons of prime ministers leading the leftist coalition. We need somebody whose entire passion has been around supporting workers, around supporting getting people off of their backs and into homes instead of being on the streets, lying on a sidewalk at night. We need to support people who can who can get people who, who can maybe get people warmed up to the idea of non-market housing. We need to and we need somebody who espouses all of these ideas and have, has been fighting for these ideas all of their life. We don't need another person who worked in business for 30 years or who worked as a lawyer for 30 years and that's all they did and they were rich their whole life and now they're going to fake caring about the little guy. We need somebody yeah, exactly. who's actually experienced being the little guy themselves. Because I think that is one thing about Pierre Polyev that, yes, we joke that he's we joke about the fact that he's he was an MP since he was 24. And sure, that certainly made him privileged. That's for sure. But what about before he was 24? You know, like I don't think his parents were too wealthy, you know, and he grew up in Western Canada. And, and that's a quite a libertarian place. You need to be able to respond to someone who feels that they can help the individual in a way that 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 leftists support and that Canadians also support. That's the challenge. Well, yeah, and that's that's why I keep bringing up Jagmeet Singh is a much more natural messenger for that sort of movement because in Justin Trudeau, he's in a he's in a position where, in order to be successful, he does need to critique parts of our society to win. He needs to give leftists a general project, a, a general vision of how he wants to evolve and improve society. But he can't really critique society that that harshly because he's the he's the number one beneficiary of the way the system is currently set up. Yeah. And he's and and you know someone like someone like Jagmeet Singh, especially when he's talking in 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 Quebec and he's like experienced the he's experienced the racism, uh, he's experienced the way that that our that our system grinds people down that 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 look and uh, and, and act like um, that, that that look and, and come from his communities. Um, he's someone who can make a, a much more furious and grounded critique of the system. And so therefore, when he offers solutions, they seem more realistic. When, when Justin Trudeau offers solutions to problems, I, I think they're always going to sound uh, inevitably contrived. Because like, what does he really care, whether the solutions work or, or don't work? I mean, like he, he, the, first, the first scandal of his reign was over nannies uh you know getting exorbitant um allowances for for his children so does he really care about uh child care i mean he's he's made it a, a cornerstone of his evolutionary response but clearly it didn't really matter to him his parents are going his children were going to have the best possible care regardless if, if child care was a was a national policy or not it, it didn't hit him home at all and so when he talks about it, he's always going to be talking about it in a very abstract way that doesn't connect to, to people. And as you and said, the thing but, about Justin yeah. Trudeau is, and, and you've brought up this point before, other commentators have brought up this point before, Justin Trudeau is at his best when he's fired up. But the, the saddest part is he only ever gets fired up about the select wedge issue of the campaign. Yeah, uh, exactly. And I mean, that is his greatest asset. But I would say it's also his biggest drawback because he didn't live the experience of sleeping on the sidewalk, because he didn't live the experience of of struggling to pay for for exorbitant childcare prices, because he didn't have the experience of of growing up in rural Saskatchewan, maybe with with, with two modest farmers. 
uh, or sorry, two modest school teachers. Um, it, it, you know, it, it, he lived a very different life. And similarly with, with Jean Charest, you know, he lived a very different life. We need somebody from the left who has, uh, you know, at, at a minimum, maybe at, at least, you know, at least lower middle class. So they can at least like, not that that's struggling at all, but like, my God, that has to be like the, the highest bar. Like we need somebody who has actually lived and experienced that. We need a person of color, if we can, who who can connect with people like Jugmeet can. When he, you, we've seen him speak about it before and how it's affected him personally, the way he's able to connect with people. Um, I don't know if, again, like I don't know if any anything in hell is going to happen to allow a merger to happen. Uh, I think electoral reform would come before that. Um, but we need we need a firebrand. The left needs a firebrand. We need an enigma, and we don't have that right now. And it's a huge problem. Yeah, yeah, you're you're absolutely right. He's definitely he Pierre Polyev represents a very profound uh, challenge to a status quo that Justin Trudeau just he he never really can be. I mean, he can he can try to reframe the the best he can the best he can do. I think is try to bring ordinary people along with the power of empathy that he clearly has shown on multiple occasions, but it's very, with, with the tight sort of message control that he has, it just never really allows him to be human. Um, that's, that's not going to be too possible. I mean, you, you see when, when, when Christian Freeland, who's, who's been the main fall guy for him for the last few months on the economy, tries to, to talk to people about, you know, uh, we we have the best economic situation in, in the G7, and that, that that really doesn't offer anyone any sort of solution or or project going through that doesn't give them any sort of moral comfort or moral support. You know, Pierre Polyev, he by when when he talks about you know me and my wife, we we were these these uh, these poor street urchins, and we pulled ourselves up by the bootstraps. At least is giving people. Um, some sort of hope it's giving them some sort of passage as i said very a long time ago i mean the fact that he is self-evidently flawed he 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 isn't as uh, he he has this sort of nasally voice he he has a sort of nerdy schoolboy look the fact that a, a man like him can aspire to power is in and of itself a little bit empowering for his audience it, it it's yep. maybe a fantasy. It's definitely a fantasy for the whole pull yourself up by your bootstraps is a fantasy, but at least it's a plan. It's like, if you're down on your luck, uh, it gives you something to do. It, it gives you some hope. The, the liberal messaging is basically like sit down and wait for the people that are better than you to fix the problems that you have in your life. It's, you know, we are these spectacular elites. We went to, these fancy universities, we're we know all the answers. We have done everything correct already. You know, we've done we foresaw this inflationary spiral. Yeah. And we enacted all the policies ahead of time. You just have to sit down and wait. Which is, you know, that might be the better policy, but it's not the better message. You need to give people something to do. You need to you need to give people something to look forward to, some some hope. And it's this government is failing to do that on a, on well, a fundamental saddest, level. Saddest part of it all is that that's what he was supposed to do. Like you, me, I think a whole lot of other people were really fired up when he came on the scene because he had a platform that 
had it been actually enacted, would have been transformational. Um, of course, it would have been a start. Uh, like there's always more to do, but it would have been transformational. And the first thing he did in the first couple of years of his term was back away from a good chunk of his key promises. And he wound up just being another boring centrist liberal, but he happened to talk a little bit more progressive. That's the only like, the, you know, the, sure, maybe he, he changed people's terminology a little bit and how they cover and talk about certain issues. And there's a handful of things that he's done that have changed the country for the better. Like, I'm not one of those people that's going to say he's done nothing, but my gosh, he's done way less than we thought. Uh, he's not been as nearly as transformational as we as we thought. And not only that, like like I always say, he is now becoming synonymous with the status quo. He is now becoming synonymous with neoliberalism, with the failings of the the sort of the neoliberal order that we've been sort of the the, the line we've been towing since the eighties, since the, the 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 oil crisis and inflation in the uh, oil crisis in the seventies and inflation in the eighties. And so, we what are we going to do? Put someone else in that's going to talk at you and now now children you just go and shut your mouths so will we fix the problem or are you going to actually say you know what i know you're angry because i'm angry too and here's what i'm going to do to fix it and even if those answers aren't i, I mean i'm not saying that we should have a candidate that bs's people but but let me look at polyev he's bs people with a good chunk of his promises but at least he's promised to do something if we don't have a response to that other than to say you can't do that then we just look like we're doing nothing. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. And in the in the in the twenties and thirties, when there was a similar surge in uh, far right politics, a lot of the primary interest from that was from young men, people that very recently had just gotten the right to vote with without property qualifications, but also people that you could just call them like the Ed's Lords of their day. The interest in fascism was that it was cool and fashionable, that it was, uh, and, and in some sense, the fact that the establishment of the intellectuals, that, uh, that the powers that be hated it so much, it only made it more interesting because it was the same institutions that, that hated these far-right politicians were also the people that were seen to be failing. And, you know, we can, we can say that, you know, obviously Pierre Polyev is not as dangerous as that, as that uh, segment of, of far-right politics, but he's also adjacent to it he's willing to touch it like guys like diagonal on they it's <laughs> the, the the fact that we don't take it seriously or the fact that we think that it's a bit of a joke doesn't make it any less dangerous in fact sometimes the the joke can empower it more that it gives people the cognitive dissonance necessary to engage with it and i definitely see a lot of guys in our demographic liam young guys like us who i would normally have suspected would be uh, uh, liberals that are willing to um, attach their wagons to uh, the, this this Pierre Polyev train. I, I'm mixing metaphors, but they're they're willing to support Pierre Polyev because he's the one that's saying, you know, everything is fucked up, and and I have a solution. And and even though they they wouldn't normally be predisposed to his solution, the the simple fact of the matter that he's willing to to criticize the system in the first place is what activates them is what interests them because they also and and when they see all the criticism of him from people that they innately distrust they start thinking oh you know what maybe this guy is on to something maybe you know all the people i hate hate him so 
therefore the the two negatives cancel out and this guy must be a positive that's that's what they're thinking and it's i think that that edgelord sort of you know i'm doing this to to own the libs i don't i don't genuinely believe this it can produce uh, a political force that we don't think is necessarily rational but definitely exists and can exist in enough quantity to bring these sorts of movements to power and that's disturbing it's something we need to to focus on so it's not you can't just say oh this is a joke this is this we shouldn't take it seriously we shouldn't dignify it with a response that seems to be what the liberals are doing right we're not going to dignify pierre polyev with the with the response hopefully they'll they'll, re they'll respond differently now that he's the official leader hopefully they'll start attacking him hopefully they'll start taking him to task um but you got you got to do something. You you can't just say, oh, you know, he's going to put his foot in his mouth. He's going to dig his own grave. He 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 absolutely isn't going to dig his own grave. In fact, the 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 more that that he bungles in public, and the more that you know, uh, leftists pile on to him, um, that could that could only improve his his popularity. You have to start actually presenting an alternative for people to to park their frustration and anger. Well, I want to pick up on on something you said there about the cognitive dissonance, and I think the the classic uh, example that people always cite is, uh, you know, because it's so easy to is Donald Trump, right? Nobody nobody in hell thought he was going to win. Nobody, I didn't think he was going to win. Everybody thought it was a complete joke, so everybody treated it like a joke. But when yeah. they treated yeah. it like a joke, you know, there's all the memes, right, the, of you know Donald Trump and Hillary, and oh, Donald Trump, he's such a crazy, wacky misogynist, right? But like, but it was you know all the disgusting things he said. For some people, it just didn't register because it was treated like a joke. So they didn't take it seriously. And they thought, some people probably thought, ah, I'm just going to stay home. You know, I don't really like, I'm not really emboldened to vote for Hillary and Trump's not going to win anyway. You know, it's just two milk toast options. I'm going to stay home. And then a lot of the Obama coalition, like in the, especially in the Rust Belt, uh, the old Obama coalition went, well, you know what? Hillary's sitting here telling me that everything's fine how it is. I know it's not because I've lost my job. And I lost my benefits and I lost this and I lost that. And maybe Trump says some things he shouldn't, but I'm going to vote for him. And, you know, I'm not saying this isn't my view, by the way, listeners, but this is the view of a lot of the people that, that voted for him. And this is the view of a lot of people that will vote and have already voted for Pierre Polyev. Well, maybe sometimes, you know, he probably shouldn't have shaken, the, shaken Jeremy McKenzie's hand, but maybe he didn't know. And you know what? He's better than what we've got. And like even even Lisa Raitt, like when we were listening to Lisa Raitt on Curse of Politics with uh, Scott Reed and David Hurley, two, the two former liberal staffers that had that podcast, uh, you know, one of the things that was said by Lisa Raitt was, well, like, you know, I mean, she didn't say anything directly about Pierre, but she was kind of hinting that that wasn't really the way she wanted to see the party go. But then she also said, well, I'm still going to vote conservative because it's the best option out there. Yeah, right? exactly. So it's <laughs> like, <laughs> so if we don't find somebody who can sit down with the average person and relate to them and not only relate to them, but take their concerns seriously and, and are, are, are seen to be doing that, we're hooped. Yeah, yeah, I I completely agree with that. Um, there's no there's no comparison necessarily with what happened in um, in in the 20s and 30s. Yeah, obviously all all circumstances are different, but in in general, when um, when a marginal faction or a radical faction takes over, it's not necessarily true that um, they they are somehow a silent majority or that they actually were secretly more supported 
Um, and you know, when they do their final coup and take over, that the the population reveals itself to actually be more sympathetic to their cause than they ever were. No, it's it's that the vast majority of people are just apathetic, and or or they they hate the alternatives more than the than the radical faction that takes over. And so, in a sense, what what Pierre Polyev has to do is he has to keep this very strong contingent behind him. And obviously, this is a really powerful victory. He just uh, achieve. He has to keep this this contingent behind him, and he has to turn off voters. He doesn't have to get more people. He just needs to make sure that there aren't uh, there isn't a huge number of of contrarians that are coalescing behind a, a leftist alternative. If he can, if he can get people apathetic, as, as I said, that in the conservative mindset, he looks like a moderate now. If he can keep that image, if he can make it look like, well, you know, I'm, I, I'm a conservative, but I'm, I'm not the worst type of conservative. I'm not really that dangerous. And, or, you know, the, or the people that say that I'm dangerous are people that you hate just as much. He can keep people on side and, and he can, or he can keep just enough people on side to win and turn enough people off, turn them away from politics that they're never going to be a, a, a problem for him. It's just about keeping people at home, not necessarily about bringing them out to the polls for him. Exactly. And, yeah. Exactly. And, you know, that's the real danger that 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 happens, particularly with the long tooth of incumbency. Uh, and, I mean, you know, sometimes a leadership change can help. Sometimes it can't, as we saw with with Kim Campbell. You know, she was supposed to solve all the problems more Rudy had, and John Turner was supposed to solve all the problems Pierre Trudeau had. How did that go? Right. So um, I don't you know, I caution us on thinking the instant solution is a leadership change for the sake of it. I think if we're doing a leadership change, it has to be to the right leader. We can't just put a milk toast cabinet minister from Ontario in there who can barely cobble together a sentence in French, which I think I think among this crowd, there's a real risk of that happening if there were to be a leadership race. Now, he said Last the, the, week, you're talking Trudeau, about the liberal candidates, sorry. You're talking about the liberal cabinet. I'm talking, yes, I'm talking about the liberals okay. now. Sorry, um, Justin Trudeau said uh, last week in his, his meeting with cabinet ministers that he did intend to stay on. I mean, of course, he's he's going to say that he intends to stay on, um, but you know, the fact that he's reiterating that, I mean. I've been hearing, you know, I was listening to Peter Mansbridge's uh, podcast there, and he was saying that, uh, according to his sources, you know, a lot of, or sorry, it was Bruce Anderson who was on Peter Mansbridge's podcast. According to his sources, a lot of prospective liberal candidates have sort of already shut it down <laughs> because, like, he was serious. And, well, and, so, and Justin Trudeau told his his cabinet and their cabinet retreat this past weekend that he was going to stay for the next election. Well, that's, that's, as well. that's what I just said. Ah, uh, okay, sorry. sorry. <laughs> You silly man. Um, but so I mean, the point being that, um, you know, who's going to be as galvanizing in Quebec as him? You know, we don't like him, but who's going to be as galvanizing in, in Quebec as him right now uh, out of the liberals? Nobody. There's nobody, obviously, in the liberals or to be honest, the NDMP, maybe Bowler East, but he'd have to increase his name profile outside of Quebec. There's nobody as galvanizing as Trudeau is right now. So that's kind of the catch 22 the liberals are in. They're like, yeah, well, we could have a, lit a leadership race or we could try to stab this guy in the back, but what's the point? He's the best we've got. And so, you know, if that's a real advantage to Pierre Polyev, uh, if he can get enough disaffected liberals to stay home and go, well, you know, I don't want to vote for Polyev, but I'm so sick of this guy. It could be very dangerous. At the same time, um, it, it one thing that is true about Justin Trudeau, and I, I do believe this is true, is he performs 
surprisingly well under pressure. Um, I mean, it's not an instant, it's not an infinite reservoir of, of performing well under pressure. Incumbency is going to catch up with you eventually. But whether we like it or not, maybe they're not particularly good at governing, but they are damn good at campaigning. And particularly if it's if he's under pressure, uh, you know, I don't want to count him out. I don't want to count him out just yet, though. I do think if his, his messaging is everything's fine, the status quo is great. We've done such a great job. Why don't you love us as much as we love ourselves? Then, yeah, he will get absolutely destroyed. Yeah, I mean, he, they're they're good at campaigning, but they can't be good at campaigning forever. And eventually, their their luck has to end. It's pretty rare to win four in a row, and yeah. that's what they're that's what they're trying to do. So they're they're already yeah. facing an uphill battle, and they're facing it at a time where there could be you know complete economic uh, ruin. It looks like in, it looks like we're turning the corner on inflation. It looks like things are slowly getting better, but you know we're. I, I think we're in the stage of um, whether we're talking about you know late stage capitalism, whether we're talking about climate change. We're we're in the stage of society where we can expect that there's going to be constant and recurring crises of uh, varying and, and probably increasing degrees. And it's no one could have possibly predicted COVID, um, but a lot of people were predicting that there was going to be some sort of pandemic in the future just because of the way that we were living our lives. There's going to definitely be some sort of uh, climate catastrophe. It seems like we're, every year there's some sort of major flood, some sort of huge forest fire. There's going to be challenges that are coming up. And there's definitely, as, as, in, as the inflation shock has shown, there's, <clears throat> there's major uh, problems with our economic system. And a system that demands infinite growth in a, in a finite universe is never going to work permanently to begin with. And it, it, it seems to be under constant shock right now. So it, it, even if we don't, even if things improve in, in the midpoint, if we're going to the polls in, in 2025, you know, the, the country could be in a lot worse shape. And the, the, the BS that, that Pierre Polyev is spinning right now may seem like a better alternative than whatever BS Justin Trudeau is. Because, you know, if, if, we're in a, if we're in an election where, like, BC is on fire and the prairies are underwater and, you know, and, and Justin Trudeau's out here and we're, we're at war with Russia or something like that, and Justin Trudeau's still going on to the television every night saying, everything is fine, I'm still great, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fix it all, even though that I am a little bit responsible for the mess to begin with, that's not going to fly. Now, <laughs> here's gonna, the difference. Here's the yeah. difference. If he, if BC is underwater and the prairies are on are on fire, or whichever order you said, BC on fire, prairies underwater, it could be either or. Honestly, <laughs> yeah, I mean yeah, that's honestly, the way. That, that's that's the most disturbing part. It could be either or. <laughs> so so you know if these climate catastrophes are happening and he goes on TV and says I'm so great, then sure he's going to look like an idiot. But if he goes on and, and has a solution and has a solution. Well, here's what, what I was going to say was if he goes on and like, let's say by some miracle inflation gets a little better, it could be harder to make this argument if inflation is still bad. But if he goes on TV and says, you know, this is the reality of climate change. Our government has a carbon price that, that rises on large emitters every year. We send the funds back to you. Pierre Polyev wants to do absolutely nothing while this is happening. If you elect this guy, he will do absolutely nothing nothing that will fit that that will hit way harder uh 
if he goes on TV and says that as opposed to I'm so great. Uh, and I think you have to give him a little credit there where I think he's he's been very effective at using the carbon tax as a bludgeon. There's a risk it could be used as a bludgeon against him if inflation is still bad. But if it if it settles down a little bit, he could totally bludgeon Pierre Polyev because nobody expects him to have a serious climate plan. That could be his that could be Polyev's Achilles heel. He shut down the abortion thing. He's already said he's pro-choice. Um, I don't know if he's necessarily viewed as like being a super out there, you know, like pride, pride or, or LGBTQ plus a two spirit plus supporter. Uh, but um, <laughs> like, you know, he's shut it down way more than Andrew Shear has. However, we all know he's not going to do anything about climate. We know he's not going to do anything about climate. He doesn't care about that. So particularly if climate change has gotten worse by then and it's cursed to even say that but if it has then trudeau could absolutely bludgeon him with it what he has to be careful of is to not trip up on his own arrogance and of course the long tooth of incumbency yeah but and that's the that's the problem of of having a, a disunited left i mean if there is no alternative save the liberals i can see how you can you can work on that but but nothing the, the galvanizes the left nothing galvanizes the left like a conservative that is popular enough that they could get in and could do not is going to do nothing about climate change. Yeah, but nothing the, galvanizes the left like that. But he's not. Excuse. So this is. I think this is a a, a point Especially that needs to be emphasized age. here is that the 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 something that the liberals are doing about climate change is not something that is going to cancel out the effects that are already baked in uh, well, to changes of the climate. Obviously so not. Here, so I'm not saying a, that. If there's a world where you know people are uh, thrown from their homes because of some climate catastrophe, uh, an extra carbon tax is going to make their lives worse. And Pierre Polyev saying I'm going to lift the carbon tax is going to make their lives better. So in that world, well, that depends. They, that in depends that on world, a few things. That depends the, on a few the, things. The, lifting but... the carbon tax could actually seem like a rational response to climate change. I mean, that's basically what they're arguing. What the conservatives are arguing, and it's a but point it's, that the liberals failed. are not responding to. But that's what failed. The, that's what not worked for them. Say in, well, it, but it hasn't. You, not yet. It could. It could if inflation is bad enough. It could. I and agree with you. But, it but could. it's also working around the like you see almost every single uh, Western nation lifted their gas. Like they had a holiday on gas taxes uh, due to inflation. I mean, that's a that is a policy that on the face well, of it seems so to be anti. So that's just the liberal doing change. nothing about. That's just the liberals just doing nothing about uh, inflation, though. Yeah, but that's, like they're that's, conceding the they're conceding the point because they don't understand how to actually solve the problem. Which no, but is, that's what I'm, I'm to, agreeing. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Like it, it's it's that that's that's bang on the biggest problem for the liberals right now is they've completely fled the field on that. <laughs> but yeah. I but I disagree. I di I think where I disagree is that. Oh, now the conservatives are automatically like, I think, let's say if there was an election held tomorrow, I absolutely think Polyev could bludgeon Trudeau with a carbon tax. If an election is held in two years, of course, there's a lot of wild cards. We don't know what it's going to yeah, be yeah. like. But if we're in a world where uh, like people are losing their homes, like look at Pakistan, it's a huge strategy that oh, you've got, God, you've yeah. got so many people displaced, uh, people lost their lives. It's, it's devastating. Um, if, if, if I don't know if we're going to be there yet in two years, we could be in Canada and some areas on the coast, if that's the case. Um, and, and, you know, uh, like, obviously, like, the economy is going to be exacerbated by environmental problems. It's only going to get worse as climate change gets worse. Right. Um, yeah. it, it, it becomes it becomes more difficult to say. I do agree. It becomes more difficult to say that the carbon tax is the best solution. But I disagree that just because the economy is suffering that Pierre Polyev would get a pass 
on doing nothing about climate change. Uh, and I include, by the way, some sort of BS environmental plan that does absolutely nothing as doing nothing. Like he could put out a plan like Andrew Shear put out his like 50 point plan or whatever that did absolutely nothing. Um, but like, I, I just I don't see how the conservatives could get a pass in this day and age with what we're seeing, with the images we're seeing, not to say that the liberals have been climate heroes. Like I'm not, I'm not here saying for a minute that, Oh, Trudeau's like the, the best on climate. Like he's done far less than anybody thought he would, but I'm saying if it's him doing far less and Pierre Polyev doing nothing and climate change has gotten worse. Yes. I suppose he's the incumbent, but at the same time, are you really going to elect a guy that's going to do nothing? But right? that's the that's the so, problem when the when the liberals are unwilling to even open the door on redistribution of wealth when they're un yeah. even un when they're unopen to open the door of uh, you know ending housing as a as an asset class they are um, they are embarking on a set of policies that make their response to crises like climate change uh, a loser for them like they when when people are uh, be, become homeless because of a flood, for example. They're not going to. They're not going to offer them new houses. They're not going to. They're. They're. They're not going to um, uh, uh, give them uh, uh, welfare handouts. They're not going to give them a, a UBI, for example. They're not going to make their lives materially better. Instead, they're going to say, "Oh, by the way, uh, we need to increase the carbon tax because obviously it's not working well enough because of this big yeah. flood." Like you're you're making their lives worse. And that's yeah, why I see your point. I, that's that's why a conservative uh, government can be given a pass on not doing anything about climate change because there are people here and now that are suffering that the liberal government is refusing to help. Uh, Here's what I will say: is I think I think you are right if and only if the liberals can can uh, continue to cede ground to Polyev and the Tories on cost of living. Only if if if. By some miracle, the NDP can force them to do a UBI or something, or if there's some sort of redistribution of wealth, or maybe they use the wealth tax revenue and they redistribute it as a some sort of benefit or something like that. Like, if they do something, if they seem to be doing something, the impact could be lessened. If they seem to be doing absolutely nothing and then they go, oh, the carbon tax needs to be higher. Sorry, guys, we just have to do it. Then, yeah, for sure, they could get clobbered. Well, exactly. That. That's what we keep talking about, just transition. And like the Justin Trudeau's just transition has basically been, I'll put a giant finger to, to Alberta, middle finger to Alberta and pretend that that's somehow just, I mean, obviously us Albertans, we screwed ourselves over by heavily investing in this resource uh, that was, is ruining the world. Um, and we knew it was going to run out from the very beginning, but at <laughs> the ordinary, uh, ordinary people who've invested their, their whole lives and savings into the industry are not, are not personally morally at fault for that. And we need to find some solution that's going to protect them. Um, otherwise, of course, they're, they're, they're right for the picking for, for someone like Pierre uh, Polyev and the fantasies sure. that he can sell them. For sure. Yeah. You're bang, you're bang on, yeah. sir. I mean, like there's a, yeah, there's, I mean, I, I, guys like Jason Kenney saying, oh, I, uh, no, I, I know that we can't produce oil, but I want to make sure that the last barrel of oil sold is an Albertan barrel of oil. Like that's the level of fantasy that that's being uh, delivered here. But the, the, the basic sentiment of that is like, we, we acknowledge that, that what we're doing is harmful to the world, but we also acknowledge that we are benefiting from that system. 
And until you're changing the equation so that uh, we can benefit just as much by helping the world, we're going to continue harming it, even if it's intentional. And Um, we don't, the liberals don't really have a solution to that besides just finger wagging and moralizing, but moralizing doesn't put food on the table. That's right. That's right. And, and, and I mean, you're, uh, yeah, you're bang on. Like that's the, that's the thing is, I mean, people forget how structural capitalism is, right? So if you're presented. Yeah, exactly. It's a system that everyone's invited to buy into. That's what liberals need. Everyone needs to be able to buy into the solution of saving the planet, which is not being given. I was more so going to use it to illustrate the point that it's structural in, in the sense that, like you were just saying, if you have an industry that is lucrative, it's lucrative and it's not going to be that lucrative for much longer, but it's still lucrative. And if you don't do things like ending fossil fuel subsidies, and if you don't do things like a just transition for workers from say the oil sands to maybe working in some sort of green technology, then yeah, absolutely. It will continue to be an oil province until the very last second. It cannot until the very last minute, or perhaps as the world is getting destroyed, they'll still be pumping pumping out press releases about from Jason Kenney's war room about how great the oil industry is and how it's actually clean and everything's fine. <laughs> because at the end of the day, like that, that's been their bread and butter. They are an oil province. And if you don't give them another reason to to a reason to transition away from that. Uh, if you, like you said, give them the middle finger, uh, it's not really helpful for anybody. And I mean, I do think he was never really helped to begin with in Alberta, just purely because of his last name, but he also hasn't done any himself, any favors at all. Uh, you, you know, we don't ever hear him talk about really transition at all. Maybe other than, other than in vague terms, maybe during a campaign, we've never seen any plan for how he's going to transition those workers from the fossil fuel industry into an industry that helps us tackle climate change. No, uh, he needs to actually invest in the province. He needs to invest in places that are going to lose their industries. But in order to invest, he needs to get the money from somewhere. And he's not willing to raise taxes on the on the parts of society that need to have their taxes significantly raised. Yeah, so it's, because <laughs> neoliberalism, so it's neoliberalism like the, and the, capital. The, the, the money is not the, the money is not magically going to come from. Uh, you know, from thin air. That's obviously what his infrastructure bank was supposed to be. It didn't freaking work. Uh, <laughs> you got to try it. some redistribution. I mean, that's the and that's the, the most annoying thing about the about the whole Alberta controversy is like with with Norway, a, a, a country of very similar size and population of Alberta, and a very similar size and resources. When they when they save their money correctly, they're able to decrease production. While while substantially increasing their sovereign wealth fund, and now they're they're well invested for years. I mean, Albertans didn't do that. The uh, the all of the profit from that from the resource went to a very small segment of society and a lot of foreigners, and it was essentially lost. But what that basically has created is a substantially unjust distribution of wealth that needs to be resolved. Yeah. And that's what the that's, that's what this government is is unwilling to touch. And it's the it's the power structures that in in fact defends. It's the pinnacle of those power structures. And it, a government that's always willing to take a a meeting from SNC Lavalin and and change our the, the the very function of of our our legal system on a whim from them is not a government that can be credibly trusted to uh, fundamentally restructure. <clears throat> there are systems of capital and power, but that's what we actually need. 
Yep. And you know what? At this time, I'd like to, so we're about seven minutes to, to 10 Atlantic here because the Atlantic is important, you see. So I have to. Oh, yes, yes, exactly. Um, we're about, so we're about seven minutes to nine everywhere, everywhere else, I think, where most people are anyway, or in Ontario and Quebec. Uh, so we wanted to, you know, the center of the universe. So we wanted to open up the, uh, uh, the floor to people if they if they had anything to share on this discussion uh you should see a little request to speak button there somewhere and you're, you're if you have anything to share you're certainly welcome to share your thoughts so we'll, i'll pause a few seconds there if anybody wants to jump in but uh yeah okay we'll fill we'll fail we'll fill air time but if anybody wants to jump in they can but i mean i think this was a good pretty much breakdown of what what ails us it's everything structural there's no gumption in the country so nobody changes anything and then that's what allows bozos like polyev to potentially become prime minister that's pretty much and and by by paying simply paying lip service to people who have nothing he's managed to wrench the conservative leadership away from somebody who would despite us disliking him and despite all his problems would have at least run it you know in a way that wouldn't destroy what we know and love. Yeah. Now there is, I do think as much as I make fun of Justin Trudeau for being an imperfect messenger, I actually do think he has a model for someone basically from the same class as him. That is, I think uh, more successful in delivering his political message. And that's Emmanuel Macron. Macron's also obviously very privileged and obviously uh, oh, yeah. comes from an extremely educated background, but he's, and even though he pursues a much more neoliberal policies than Justin Trudeau, uh, a lot of it is is under a background of uh, of critiquing the system and saying that he needs to modernize France. And he obviously has an Napoleonic a Napoleonic image of himself. Um, and but he has a he has a clear mission. He has a, he has a clear statement. He he's willing to tell the French people who he thinks the the good guys and the bad guys are. It's not necessarily a hundred percent. Uh, compelling, but he is willing to he at least shows that there he's willing to make a problem statement that that makes coherent sense. He's willing to show how he personally is the is the best person to uh, to, to lead in those changes. And he sort of he, he sort of gives himself an energy when he when he does that. He takes on the fight. He takes on the battles. Like he's he, he I don't agree with most of the policies that he that he goes after. But he's always energetic when he goes after them. He's he's always vigorous. He's always fighting. He always he always looks. He's always acting from a place of strength. He's always um, and, and he's always going after uh, enemies that he thinks are the most popular. Uh, the most popular enemies, the enemies that are going to make him look good by contrast. You know, Justin Trudeau for long stretches will just go missing from the from the public. He doesn't. He he seems to sort of amble from agenda to agenda. He. He, he, you know, he, he, he goes after a single policy point, a, a, a solid victory, and then he'll just sort of take a break. That's the thing that, that we're missing. There's no, there's no dream. There's no vision. There's no problem statement that he's putting forward. And that's why a guy like Pierre Polyev represents a, a, a challenge to him, because Pierre Polyev does clearly have a mission. It's, uh, it's defined by freedom. I mean, Justin Trudeau's mission of you know, the, working for the middle class and those fighting to join it, um, it's 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 ringing hollow, and it doesn't it doesn't mean a whole lot anymore. It's There's, dead. Where's the where's the fight that he's fighting? That's the, exactly. I think that's what he needs to that's what he needs to redefine. Like I, I again, a guy like Manuel Macron, I don't agree with his fight at all, but it's clear that he is fighting, 
And that's what people want. They want to, they, they want a combatant. They want to, they want a pugilist. They want someone who is willing to say, what is working now? What the system right now is not working. And I recognize it's not working and I'm going to change it so that it does work. Uh, that's what, that's, the, that's a message that Justin Trudeau can adopt if he wants to, but he's, he's choosing not to. He's, it's not a comfortable message for him because he'd, he'd have to be fighting all the time. He'd actually start having to govern rather than you know, just campaigning every <laughs> few years, which is a oh. lot. It's, it's hard work. I will admit it's hard work. But you know, the, the, the difficulty is, is that's the job he ostensibly signed up for. So it'd be, it'd be nice if he started showing up for work. Well, that's the thing with this crew is they're always surprised to find out that they should have been governing, you know, and it's it's the, the easiest place to to rag on them because they're so vulnerable there. And that presents a, a massive problem. But, hey, thank you so much, uh, everybody here for, for listening and for yeah, sticking with us. Uh, really good chat. Um, you know, not the outcome any of us wanted, but I think we all knew it was coming. And uh, now it's time to get to work and figure out what the heck we do. So with that, um, for those of you who aren't familiar, we have a podcast called Speech from the Throne. You can find us on your favorite podcast platform and you can hear us, yeah, once a week. Uh, And everybody have a great night. Take care of yourselves and uh, be well. And and God save the king, since apparently it's mandated we have to say that now (laughs) after every single stream. (laughs) Amazing. All right. Goodbye. Peace out. Bye, bye, bye. (laughs) 